Right, good afternoon again. Um, and just by way of introduction, I can't quite see everyone who's here, but my name's Bertram, and one of the elders here at Ecclesia. And um, it's good. Uh, I wanted to, it's, it's good to have an opportunity to stand and declare God's word. Um, I think what I particularly find enjoyable about it is, you know, sitting down and actually getting into the word and seeing what God has to share. Um, <clears throat> so that said, um, by way of introduction, you know, it's, it's one thing to have a knowledge of the gospel that is to hear that God forgives sin. But you know, there is some sort of a dichotomy between theory, you know it, we know it in our heads, and practice. What is it, what, how does that really work? You know, we hear about God forgiving sin. How does that work for me, a sinner? Um, we hear about God holding um, mankind to account for sin. Will he hold me to account, even though I'm a believer now? I mean, does, is, do you ever have that experience where past sin or even the fact that though we're forgiven, we're still human? We still, we still live in this ex human existence and oftentimes find ourselves tripping up or with that consciousness of sin. And thinking, hmm, I know God's forgiven me, but my, this doesn't seem quite like it's working out. Because, boy, I wonder how will I fare if I stand in God's presence? You know, as I was preparing, preparing for this, that song um, by Bart Millard and um, Mercy Me came to mind. I can only imagine what it would be like, you know, standing. And one of the lines talks about standing right beside God, standing beside the Christ, standing beside the Savior. And I thought, hmm, is that something we all look forward to? <laughs> with, with eagerness and excitement, yes, stand right beside God. Or with fear and trepidation. How can God forgive me? How can God call me righteous? How can God accept me, sinful as I am in nature? Well, <clears throat> the thing is, oftentimes we cry, out for, we cry out again for sin, but we fall again into sin. And if we look within ourselves, do we have what it takes to stay in that place where God has brought us to? As Pastor Rob talked about, justification. He's declared us righteous in his sight. Do we have to do anything to stay there? Will God, when we're in his presence, bring up records of past sin against me? Do I have to work my way out of sin? These, common, these are common questions that, you know, we struggle with. And that make it necessary for us to understand how God freely forgives us and then 
credits us with his righteousness. He makes us right in his sight. Listen to that. God makes us right in his sight. And seeing as it is God who freely, freely, not for anything that we have done, he freely forgives us and makes us right with him, then let us do a couple of things. Let's recognize or admit our guilt of sin to him. Let's accept the, 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 the forgiveness that God actually gives to us. Let's accept the standing that God gives to us, even in calling us righteous. And then, of course, as we'll see, there are other things we can do to actually live out this position that God has brought us into with him. All this to uh, introduce another um, big word from this little book of big words in our current series on um, Christian doctrine, imputation, imputation. This aspect of eternal life is, of, our, of our life in Christ is so important, and we can read Paul touching the subject in Romans chapter 4 and verses 1 to 8. I heard Pastor Rob plug in these books. Um, you would do well to have one now or today because I'm going to be reading from it um, as, I read from, as I read out the passage that we're referring to. Romans chapter 4 and verses 1 to 8. That's on page 63. Go on, Lisa. <laughs> Anybody else? <laughs> okay. Interestingly, during the week, I was talking with one of my colleagues about imputation, and he's like, wow, tell me more about it. Oh, this is nice. This is interesting. Lovely book. Get me a copy. And there you go. Just a little plug there. Um, I'd encourage you to get a copy. It's really, really very simple, very straightforward, but dealing with heavy stuff, really heavy stuff, important for us as we walk as believers. Romans chapter 4. And verses 1 to 8 says, and reading uh, the last paragraph from, verse, from page 63, What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by his works, by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of, of the... David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. It's just so exciting realizing that you freely forgive us. You freely forgive the one who is indebted to you and has no way 
to pay that debt, but who comes crying to you, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. We remember the account of Jesus talking about that man who prayed as such to you. And he says, oh, this man went away justified from your presence. He wouldn't even lift off his, his face toward you. But he cried, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, we pray that even as we read from your word today, even as we learn about how you receive us and how you credit to our account your righteousness, Lord, help us to see our helpless state. Help us to see, Lord, how bankrupt we are. Help us to see, Lord, that we need you to write our debt off. Help us to see, Lord God, that we can only stay in credit with you by your credit. Lord, thank you. Guide me, Lord, so that I speak um, free of any fear, free of any concerns or anxieties, such as the adversary would want me to be or want me to have. But Lord, let me stand here speaking because you have given us credit. You have given me credit, the righteousness of Christ, to stand and declare your truth, your counsel, not mine, not from my ability, not from my my righteousness, but from yours, because you're the one who makes us all free, who come to you through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, very quickly, let's look at what we're talking about. Let's look at what we're talking about. Imputation. Imputation. How many have heard that term before? Let me just see a show of hands, please. I know I said I don't have my glasses on, but I, I don't see many hands up. Is, is that true? Wow. Okay. When I put the question out to someone, what do you think, what, what's imputation? Somebody was like, hmm, I'm not too sure what that is. Well, big word. Well, let's see what it means. Um, going back to Wearsby, little, little big of book, little Book of Big Words, page 63, 64. He says, our English word, imputation. This is just following where we read on from um, Romans 4, 1 to 8. It comes from a Latin word which means to reckon or credit to one's account. To reckon or credit to one's account. Defining this, you see, um, we, we read it in Romans, chapter four, Romans 4, 1 to 8, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Some of the Bible translations, for example, the Bible in basic English reads that verse where, um, this is verse 3, the Bible in basic English says that it was put to his account. Abraham believed God and it was put to Abraham's account as righteousness or credited in the New American Standard Bible. So it means really just to reckon and to consider as belonging to someone. Let me illustrate this, for example. Um, like most of you here have a telephone account, mobile phone account. 
Okay, it's obvious, everyone. So there's no point putting your hands up. <laughs> All right? With EEO2, Vodafone, whichever. Uh, Visa, just over the last Friday. Barclays, whoever the account's with. Sometimes you might experience poor service from them. You couldn't get access to the service. You couldn't make a payment on Friday. I think somebody posted about that on Friday. <laughs> you couldn't make a payment, and um, it caused you some serious inconvenience. And you go to them and complain. Well, guess what these guys decide to do? They decide to credit your account with some money just as a gesture of goodwill. All right? So they impute money to your account. They give you credit for the inconvenience. No, you're not paying them. They're not paying you for something you've done for them, but they're just crediting your account with some value, as if you put the money there yourself. All right? Now, um, here, Wisby says that, you know, when you go, for example, to the bank, another example, another illustration of this, or you put and you put money in your bank account, or you deposit money, imputation also takes place. So you go to the bank, put money in there, or you, somebody transfers or wires money to you, and you go online, look on your phone. Ah, yeah, I got it. The bank imputed money to your account in doing that. Points clear. Now, just imagine, for example, what does this have to do with us as Christians? What does this have to do with us as believers? Um, just imagine two accounts. One account belonging to Christ, Jesus, and another account belonging to Adam. Adam, in the Bible account, Genesis, obviously. Now, compare these two accounts. Christ's account, for example, is one that's perfectly maintained. No direct debits missing, you know, bouncing. Nothing going wrong. When, when, the, when payments are meant to go out, they go out. Adam's account, hmm. <clears throat> every time he gets messages, text messages, your, your account number ending, that, 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 has just gone overdrawn or it's exceeded its overdraw limit. So Adam's account is bankrupt, poorly run. The example is um, laid out for us here again in um, Weasby. That's in the book we're referring, we, we, we're, we've shared out and plugged for everyone to see. Now, the, the point is this. One account is perfect Christ lived a life perfect before God to the point where God testifies about his life at Christ's baptism. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. If you've ever taken the time to read the Bible from Genesis and tried to read through the Bible... You don't get too far before you begin to see accounts that make your heart really bleed, make your heart sink. Boy, is this what mankind is like? I mean, you don't get too far in Genesis before Cain kills his brother Abel. This is of the seed of Adam, right? 
You don't get too far again before after Cain kills Abel, God testifies and says, hmm, it really pains me that I have made mankind. It really pains me because everything they do continually, every thought and intention of their heart continually tends towards evil, tends towards sin. So you see in the account, God's actually showing us how bankrupt, how um, depraved our human nature is. And of course, it makes sense. It gives us cause to wonder and think, <laughs> really, can we be forgiven? Can we be right with God? As you read through the scripture in, in that order, from Genesis right in, before you get too far in, you're wondering, and even seeing the people of God who God has made covenant with, after Noah, after Abraham, you begin to wonder, are these supposed to be the people of Israel? You see accounts where um, priests of God are actually making demands of people who come to, to, to make sacrifice. Look, you've got to sort me out before I make your offering to God, you know. I want my share, my portion of the offering you're bringing to God first before I offer it, the sons of Eli. And you think, hmm, this is not good. Not good at all. So it's the, it's, it's the, whole, it's the point that um, Paul is arguing about, that Paul summarizes in the first three chapters of Romans before we get to chapter four, where he talks and asks a question about Abraham. That look, we've concluded and we've summarized whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile, whether you believe in God, whether you don't, we've summarized that none is good. And when it comes to standing right before God, there has to be, there is a basis. And let's look at one illustration and see what this guy's experience was, Abraham. So, what can we do about this situation? What can we do about um, our, what can we do about our bankrupt nature, our bankrupt human nature? What can we do? Should we just ignore that situation? Interestingly, <laughs> this got me reading about bankruptcy um, just, be just before, I mean, while preparing for this. And I realized that, you know, in this country, if you find yourself with debt, that's something you best not ignore. A lie? All right, silence. <clears throat> that may be something we all share in common, spiritually. But if you find yourself with debt, it's something you best not ignore because it can have some very serious consequences. For example, <laughs> you can't get credit. You'll have a record against you on your credit file for about six years or as long as your bankruptcy remains. Your name be out there in the public that this guy owes money. Don't do business with him. There are some registers. I'm surprised to find that there are some registers you can find with people's name, date of birth, what debt they actually owed, how they broke their bankruptcy, bankruptcy restrictions, giving you the full, you know, the full story. 
how this person come to be bankrupt and what rules they've broken, therefore giving you a warning, don't do business with this one. But yet, some choose to ignore their debt. How does that work? What else can we do? Can we change our debt? Maybe go find somebody in the bank and say, hey, bruv, do us a favor now. Come on. I mean, I'm your brother. Find a way of just, you know, giving me some write-off. I mean, I, I did, you know, try argue our case with the creditor or argue our case with somebody so that somehow, some way, they write off some of the debt, you know. Just like phoning the bailiff and saying, hey, it wasn't my fault. That, 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 that those guys didn't send me any notice that, that I had to pay this bill and um, I wasn't in, or some kind of flimsy excuse, or the cat ate up the letter. I, I didn't get the notice of the bill in the first instance. Or I wasn't in when you guys came and you need to knock off some of these charges. Imagine arguing with God about our righteousness before him. <coughs> if we did that, what chances are there that we could actually succeed against God? The one who is good himself, goodness personified, truth himself, the judge of all the earth. So we've considered two options, ignoring the debt or changing it. But what about this? We've heard about justification. Pastor Rob took us through that. Regeneration. Um, I was going to say Pastor Rich, yeah. Pastor Rich took us through that. <clears throat> and propitiation last week. Um, where Christ presents himself as the offering for sin. Or God comes and in himself takes away our sin. Um, some distinctions to make and note about what we can do regarding this. But let me just make some distinctions here first. Justification involves two things, and imputation is closely related to that. It involves two things. One, God declares the sinner who cries out to him for forgiveness, forgiven. God justifies the sinner who believes freely. Let me repeat that. God freely justifies the sinner who cries out to him. So there's nothing we bring to God. There is nothing. It's not because I was a good boy all my life or I never lied, I never smoked, never drank, never slept around and all that. Never did any of those things. It's not for any of those things that God forgives us. God freely forgives us when we put our trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of our sin. All right? Now, something about that. Justification does not, it's all it is, it's just God declaring us right with him. Justification doesn't do anything to make us right. It, it puts us in the right position with God. It doesn't change us in, internally. It doesn't make us... Um, doesn't change us internally, but there's the work that God does um, 
which when he's, the, there's an internal work, there's an internal working that God, that of God that comes with his nature in us. But we'll consider that when we come to sanctification. That's, we're going to be looking at that next week. Okay. So I don't, so I don't derail and spend all the time talking about that. Now, what God does is bring us to a place where there is no penalty for sin when he justifies us. So we read in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 that God freely, God freely, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Um, God justifies us in that way. And that there is also no condemnation. God doesn't condemn us. He doesn't bring past sin and drop it and say, that's it, you're done. Bang to rights. You know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, still in the same um, letter, Paul dealing with all of these issues. Now, what the problem we have remaining arise, um, raises the question that if justification, if God just declares us right and forgives us of sin, it doesn't change the believer. That, but, but does that mean we simply are even with God? So me and God are cool now. I don't owe you, you don't owe me. If that's all God does in justification, he, does that help us? Because we're just back in a neutral position like Adam and Eve were before they um, disobeyed God in the garden. What are the chances of us maintaining that right position with God if that's the case? None. None, because just like Adam and Eve, hey, guess who's coming along to knock on the door? Satan, again, with ideas like, you know what? You can impress God with your knowledge again. You can, you can look great and fly. Just come and try this thing out. It may not be, whatever it may be, apple, whatever, fruit, something. We'll just find ourselves in debt with God again. It just means we don't owe God anymore for sins committed when we come to Christ. And that's scary. And we could easily fall back into debt with God. So this leads us to the second thing, or the second aspect of justification. Paul talks about this concern early in the early chapters of Romans. I've mentioned this already. But how can God justify sinners? What makes it possible for God to simply forgive the ungodly? So we come to imputation. In imputation, what happens is the believer has already come to God acknowledging his debt. We've cried out, yes, God, I'm wrong, you're right. <laughs> I'm, sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm, I owe you, <laughs> you set me free, you pay my debt. We have no way to repay our debt to God, and we cry out to him. God takes the, the sin of, of, of the sinner who cries out to him in faith. He takes it away. God takes the sin away. But here's what God does with that. Wherever we have erred, sinned with God, 
sinned against God. He takes that sin and places it on Christ, in Christ's account. Places it on Christ so that the whole point of Christ coming to die on, the, on Calvary is that God, in the first instance, takes our sin and imputes it to Christ. He puts the sin we have committed as if Christ committed sin and places it on him. God deals with us in that way who turn to him, acknowledging God, there's no way I'm ever going to be right with you. There is no way I'm ever going to be holy before you. There's no way I'm ever going to pay the debt I owe you. He takes it, all right, thumbs up to you, but then places that debt, that sin on Christ. Christ died and paid the penalty for our sin in dying on the cross. Our sin was imputed to Christ's account. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. And boy, this thing just, ah, I was like, wow, God, you are good. You are good. You are truly good. God takes the sin on Christ's account and Christ, as we learned last week, is the propitiation. He's the one that takes that sin away so that God can see us differently. God can look at us differently. We're not in his eyes, sinners anymore. But what, but what more does God do? He doesn't stop there. Not only is the sinner forgiven of guilt, not only is sin not put to our account. If I, if, if I ask you guys right here, think about somebody who owes you money. Don't say You remembered them, right? Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> but God doesn't put the sin to our account. God doesn't think of, think of somebody who sinned against you. If you have put your trust in Christ, God does not think about you. If you come to mind at all, he thinks about Christ. Because here's what God has done. God has taken the righteousness of Christ. We hear a lot about Jesus Christ, who knew no sin. Jesus Christ, who was tempted in so many ways and yet did not sin. The one of whom I said, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. God takes the righteousness of Christ, actual lived out righteousness. That is, in terms of being right, if if there's such a thing as a a divine goody two-shoes, I don't know know what goody two-shoes means, literally. My vocabulary is not that strong. It may have some other meaning, but I'm thinking goody two-shoes is somebody who just cannot go wrong. They can't take a wrong step. That's what I mean, okay? (laughs) 
If there was one, it's Jesus. And when God thinks about you, he takes Jesus' lived out goodness and credits it to our account. He credits it to our account. Remember, we could not do right with God. We, we could not pay God our debt of sin. We could not, even if, even if our life depended on it and, it, and it does, we couldn't live right before God in our strength. If that's your experience, hey, say amen. You know, but he takes Christ's righteousness and credits it to our account. God thinks of Christ's lived out rightness as belonging to us. That's the next thing God does. He imputes that to us. Look at this. It's what enables Paul to say, this same Paul who wrote this letter to the Romans, that um, in 1 Corinthians 1.31, he says that, I beg your pardon, verse, yeah, 131. I beg your pardon, chapter 1, verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, Christ became to us, wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. Why did he say these things? Not only is it, I mean, why, why did Paul say these things about, about Christ? Because of Christ, we are made right. Because of Christ, we are made wise. Because of Christ, we are redeemed. The point Paul is making in all of this here is that... Um, so that as it is written in verse 31 of that same passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 31, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, are we made right with God because of anything that we have done? Are we made right with God because maybe we come to church every Sunday? Or we know how to pray? Or we give an offering that, boy, we can be so sure tops everybody else here, you know. Or when, the, or, or when we sing, man, even angels come, come out listening like, whoa, who's that? <laughs> you know, I, I, is that what makes us right with Christ? No. Paul makes the point, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's God who freely, freely not for anything we bring or have to offer, makes us right. He forgives us, takes away the sin, doesn't count sin against us, and then brings the righteousness, the goodness, the lived out goodness of Christ and places it there to our account. Boy, I just thought, you know what? This, kind of, this could just be like hanging out with Harry or Will, or Prince Charles, all the time, all the time, you know, 
And them guys give me their whatever, their, their rights, their privileges, everything. Boy, would I so live it up. <laughs> I would so live it up. Honestly, having that privilege, having that position with God. I ain't even talking some royals here. I'm talking with God. Having that privilege, having that position. Look at what God does. He imputes the righteousness of Christ to us. I mean, how blessed are you feeling right now when he says that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? This is just, if you like, a glimpse of what God is talking about. Boy, we are blessed. And it isn't a matter of anything that we have done. It isn't a matter of anything that we have done. So, quickly now, let's consider, um, let's very quickly consider an example or example of how this works. Let's consider an example of how this works. Um, if you turn with me to Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, it's just one chapter anyway. Here is an account that Paul writes about, it's a personal letter that Paul writes to a friend, a, a brother who is a believer, Philemon, chapter 1. An account that Paul writes to a brother who is a believer who has a slave called Onesimus. Onesimus, the slave of um, Philemon, apparently is now a believer at the time Paul's writing this letter. Onesimus at this time as well, in them days where, you had, where people had slaves in, in, um, in that part of the world, I mean, slaves' rights, boy, I don't know whether they, were, they, they had rights at all, non-existent. Because this is under um, Greek or Roman rule and Roman culture. This guy had offended his master in probably stolen something of value and fled. But in the course of his, um, if you like, exile from his master, he bumps into Paul. He's come to be a believer. And here, Paul is writing to his friend, his brother, Philemon, about Onesimus. Now, here's the thing. Paul's extending, uh, Paul's writing and appealing to Philemon, guy, look, you know what? I'm sending this guy back to you. And just imagine someone who's stolen from you, someone who served you, someone who you virtually owned, your slave. And you, the last you heard of him, he'd taken your thing and gone. And then now this letter from your um, pastor or your brother in Christ, the one who's raised you in Christ, mentioning this guy's name. Like, what is this guy writing to me about on the Seamus 4? But here's the thing. Philemon is within his rights to do with his slave as he will. 
all right? The guy stolen from him, he could possibly have had to face the penalty of death at his master's hand or in Roman law. But look at what Paul is doing. Paul's appealing to Philemon, guy, look, verse 18. Turn with me there. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, what does Paul say to do? Sorry? Charge it to my account. Charge it to my account. Charge it to my account. Just like God has charged our sin to Christ's account. You hear that? But guess what? <clears throat> he goes even further and presses Onesimus, presses Philemon to do something more. In verse 17, in verse 17, look at what he does in verse 17. Read with me, please. So, if you consider me your partner, this is somebody with Paul writing this to um, Philemon, obviously, it's quite probable that Philemon has already been supporting Paul financially. Paul's making these trips and traveling all across Asia, all across Roman-occupied territory, traveling places, and Philemon spending money, paying the guy's travel fare, you know, not buying him a new jet, but <laughs> paying the guy's travel fare and all kinds of things. And he's, he's saying to this guy, if you consider me, Paul, your partner, receive Onesimus, your slave, the one who teeth your thing and run away, the one who you have every right to punish, the one you have every right to deal with as, you, as you're allowed to lawfully. He says, guess what? What does he say? Receive him as you would receive me. Paul's extending himself. Like, dude, please consider him as you would consider me. Tell me something. Is Onesimus deserving of that? Hello? He isn't. He is not. But look at grace extended. Look at forgiveness extended. Look at imputation. Paul deciding to pay for the guy's wrong. And Paul, not only paying for the guy's wrong, puts himself in the place of Onesimus. Like, dude, if you want to deal with him, deal with him as if you were dealing with me. Onesimus doesn't deserve that credit. He doesn't deserve that status at all. But check it. If Philemon's going to listen to this guy, he needs to look at Onesimus like he's looking at Paul. Wow. <laughs> that is imputation on display. That's imputation on display. And you think it's difficult for us to walk as believers before God? Yeah. Satan would like to confuse us into thinking that that is the case. That God has it for us. God has it out for us. He's going to get us at the slightest chance. You know, 
common beliefs out there, there's some superstitious beliefs that kind of find their way into our hearts. You know, people talk about um, when there's lightning or thunder, people like, there's this thing they do in some countries, lightning comes on and then thunder follows. People go, do some funny things and kiss their teeth like, oh boy, let that thunder not strike me. Like as though God were out there literally trying to hit somebody with a lightning bolt for some wrong we've done. Hey, God is gracious. God is good. God is merciful. And he imputes, he forgives us. He doesn't count sin against us who believe in him, who trust in Christ. And he credits us with the righteousness of Christ and deals with us like he'd be dealing with Christ. This is imputation. So, quickly, as I begin to wrap this up, what does this mean for us now as believers? What does this mean for us as believers? Why is this important for us? You know, it's quite easy. There's something I find really hurtful, very, very hurtful when I'm dealing with... um, friends or people I know as who claim to be believers but yet just show God the hand when it comes to recognizing their, our, our real spiritual condition with God. You know, one thing we need to do is this in terms of imputation. Let's, because God is so, um, because God freely forgives us because God freely doesn't count sin against us, because God does not, because God actually credits us and looks at us as if he's looking at Christ. Are we not well off to just acknowledge before God, God, I'm wrong. God, I'm a sinner. This is addressing the one who does not believe that he owes God anything. Let me start there. It is is wisdom to acknowledge how bankrupt I am. I mean, burying our head in the sand about debt just on the ordinary level is, is foolishness, to say the least. I mean, even by our own, even by human standards, our own standards, we aren't always great. I mean, there's often times in my, I get told, you know what, you're driving, you should not touch that phone. Yet, on the other hand, if I see people with the phone driving sluggishly in front of me, I'm like ready to just give it, you know, ready to give it or ready to just do something. And in my mind, I'm thinking, even if I'm not seeing anything, it's there on my face, like this, this guy just, you know, doing something. Yet, I do the same thing. <sighs> the debt... Listen, the debt of sin is owed to God. We owe that debt to God. All right? Do well to just acknowledge it. Do well to just say, yes, God, I'm wrong. Somebody come preaching to me, to you. It's not the time to start questioning them and, you know, looking at things in relative terms. Well, uh, you guys, you, you always do this. Your pastors always want to buy jets and you guys just collect offerings all the time. Oh, look at how the women dress in the church. Oh, you guys just always lose. And please, 
tell it to God. Tell it to God and sort yourself out while you're at it. All right? Come to him who alone is good. It's just God who is good. It's just God who is good. He is goodness personified. You can't top that. You definitely can't. Because if you set yourself up as a standard, guess who will be breaking the law soon? The guy in the mirror. I mean, we read an account in, in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus' hosts soon finds himself <coughs> blind and needing to admit his own guilt while accusing another. I mean, you probably read the account before of, the, of this guy, Pharisee, hosting Jesus at a, at, a, at a dinner and he's having thoughts about this woman who's washing Jesus' feet. <laughs> and then Jesus asked the guy a question. He says, you know what? A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon uh, answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled a larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, this woman who was, who this guy who's answered the question is thinking, man, if Jesus knew what kind of woman this girl is, gee, he wouldn't be letting her do what she's doing right now to him. Jesus turned to the woman and said, <clears throat> do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. Things which culturally, that was just an ordinary, normal curtsy. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, listen, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Interestingly, I don't know why Luke stopped there. But I, I mean, I'm not going to imply anything. But I don't see Jesus telling the man too, his sins are forgiven. So, <clears throat> just admit if we if if there is a sin if there is a sin debt owed is owed to God, admit it to Him, acknowledge it, cry out to God for help, for forgiveness for, of sin. Uh, other thing, imputation implies to us, and this is very very freeing. Honestly, it's very very freeing. Don't keep a record of your own sins. 
I mean, if God's not keeping account of sin against you, what's the point? What what you busy doing keeping the account yourself? So that what? <laughs> so you could go to heaven and reconcile it with God? God don't need reconciling it right here. God need us reconciled to him. And when we come reconciled, God takes the whole debt. However well you keep the record, however well or the, the, Satan urges you to keep the record. Like you catch yourself thinking, mm, man, I've done some really bad things, man. If anybody finds out, mm, and, you know, exclude ourselves from things that God would have us do for, oh boy. And I tell you what, those kind of things run deep. Only you know how well or how, how well you keep those records at Satan's prompting. Not God's prompting, because what God does is take the record of sin, and who does he charge it to? To Jesus Christ. And he doesn't leave you there, just on a zero balance. He brings Christ's righteousness and puts it, boom. Sees us as right. Let's not be counting those records against ourselves, please. It would just hinder us. It would, it would keep us wondering, is God trustworthy? We're not waiting for, for that day to find out whether our good outweighs our bad <laughs> and whether we get enough good to get into the joys and the pleasures of God and his kingdom. We're not waiting for that to find out. We know now Christ's record is put on our account. All right? In the same way, just as we are, just as Satan would love to have us counting our debt, counting our sin, hey, I can't remember what it was. There was a day I asked a question here like, hmm, would you happily sit right next to the person uh, would you happily have dinner with the person sitting next to you? It was kind of eerie because I think the response was, whoa, people were kind of like, whoa, I'm not too sure about that, you know. <laughs> this brother right here or this sister, uh -uh, I have some reservations of my own. Hey, what reservations are we having? When God isn't having any reservations for the one who's come cried out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It doesn't matter where, how deep, how bankrupt the account. We ain't holding people in bankruptcy jail. We ain't putting bankruptcy on people's record and saying, yeah, let's wait, but, you know, just before Christ comes, then we'll see <laughs> whether we want to have this person as a brother or, or not. Nah. Other, we'll be doing that on our own basis, not the way Christ has dealt with us. Think about Paul, whose letter we're reading. This guy was, if we could call him today a terrorist. Yeah? We could call him a guy who, yeah, is, he, 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 he runs a cell. He took an active cell to, to Damascus <laughs> to, go, to go and take out believers. Hey, the believers in Jerusalem, they'd heard of him. 
Oh, we've heard of that guy, Paul, you know. Nah, we're not having anything to do with him. But somebody went, Barnabas, heard about him. Went and went close to this brother and brought him in. Brought him in, testifying of the great things that God is doing through this guy among the Gentiles. Wow. Who do you know is sitting next to you? If not someone who has had their bankruptcy, their sin against God, wiped clean. Not just wiped clean. They're not just wiped clean sitting there waiting to fall back into sin again. They're wiped clean and have the righteousness of Christ credited to their account, just like you. Just like you would love it. Let's extend that same grace as well. Let's extend that same grace as well. Lastly, yes, Somebody asked me the question. I think I was talking about this with one of our sons yesterday. He says, you know, hmm, this thing, does that mean that God has given us, you know, freeness to go about and just sin again? No, definitely not. Definitely not. Of course, God has brought us into sonship. He's brought us into relationship with him. And yes, he is keeping a record He's given us righteousness that we might live righteously. In our ability? No. I think we'll see next week how God enables us to do this. In our ability? No. In our nature? So that we can, you know, just live off, live on what we want to do in ourselves? No. There is a new nature in us that God has birthed. It is not the old man. It's not the one that tends to sin. It's not the one that's bankrupt. But there's a newness of life that God has put in us. And he calls us to glorify him even in this way. So, in conclusion, we see how God indeed justifies us. He frees us from sin. He forgives us freely, not for anything that we have done. And he wipes away our sin, our debt of sin. He doesn't count it against us, or rather, and he doesn't leave us right there. But instead, he credits to our accounts and sees us just as he sees Christ. Not good old or bad old Bertram. But when God looks at me, who does he see? When God looks at you, who does he see? If you get any voice haunting you and saying, yeah, but there's, yeah, but. Uh, it, look, if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, God sees you and he sees Christ. He sees his perfect Christ because he has credited the goodness of Christ to your accounts. Live it up for him. Live it up for his glory. Live it up because that's what he's appointed you and I to. Because he's imputed his righteousness so that we can live rightly for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Even at times like this when we just take a moment to pray 
um, it's good to know, Lord, that you hear us, you listen to us because of Jesus. Yes, our Savior, our champion in your presence, making intercession for us. It's not us, you, 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 don't, you don't assess us, you don't look at us and say, hey, mm, that guy is just, mm, nah, you see Christ. Because we come in his name. We don't come in our righteousness. We don't come because we feel good about ourselves. But we come because you bring us near. You invite us to, to come to you in prayer. You invite us, Lord God, to reconcile us to yourself. What a beautiful place to be. And so we pray, Lord, that even as we, as you bring us near, Lord, so um, you will establish every heart that has received and heard your word today. Whether it be one who has never admitted or come to you acknowledging our place of sin. Or even us who have placed trust in you but struggle with doubt and wonder. Hmm. How are we doing? But help us to know that we stand because of Christ in your presence. And you receive us, you hear us, and you hear our prayer, Lord, all the time. And we call us to live for you. We give you thanks again for such a great spiritual blessing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.